Welcome to the Avail Podcast, where we dig deep and talk about the art of leadership. My name is Virgil Sierra, and today we're connecting with Martine Van Tilborg. Martine is a marketing architect, author, speaker, and serial entrepreneur who has experience working in media and marketing for numerous clients, ministries, and brands worldwide. He has a passion for innovation, and in this episode, we'll dive into his most recent book, A Time of War, The Inevitable Conflict Between the Church of Today and the Church of Tomorrow. Let's get started. Martine Van Tilburg, we are ready for you, brother. We're excited to get into this talk about your new book, A Time of War. How are you doing, sir? I am doing well, Virgil. How are yourself? How <laughs> are you yourself? <laughs> I'm doing awesome. I've been looking forward to this talk with you for, for quite some time, Martine. I think people are going to really enjoy the new book. How does it feel to have a new book out there? You know, it feels really good. This one was a long time in the making and uh, it was, well, I've never given birth to a child, but I can imagine <laughs> um, what it feels like. And it was like giving birth to something. And uh, I'm excited it's out. We get to talk about it today. So good. So good. Hey, I know a lot of people that are part of the Avail, you know, extended family throughout the world. They've heard about you. They've read some articles. They know about a lot of things that God is doing. But let's just take a moment real quick, just off the top, before we get into the book and the whole story, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? For those who don't know you, who are you and how did you end up here? All right. Well, my name is Martijn van Tilburg. I grew up in the Netherlands and I'm excited to see some people from the Netherlands online for this webinar. Hey, Rob, how are you? Uh, good to be reconnecting. Pastor Rob here is a dear friend from over 20 years ago, and I see he's online here with us. So that's great. I grew up there at a very young age. I knew that God called me. And when God calls you, you have three options, right? When God calls you, you become a pastor. You become a missionary, or maybe you become an evangelist. And by the way, fun fact, talk about evangelists. I am sitting in Reinhard Bonnke's old office. Can you believe that? Wow. I just had a meeting at uh, Christ for All Nations, and they were very gracious to uh, borrow me Reinhardt's old office. So I kind of feel honored to sit in such an iconic place today. But... Um, so when God calls you, you have three options because the culture, the church culture that we've created kind of dictates to you what yeah. it is you can now become. <laughs> and uh, over the years, I've been involved in church planning. So I've done the pastor thing. I've been a missionary in South Africa. I've done the missionary thing. And when I first came to the U.S. in 2006, I was a traveling itinerant speaker. So I've done the itinerant thing. And I have to be honest, Virgil, that... Throughout those three experiences, it was like there was a lot of good about it, but there was also a lot that really didn't fit. And I felt mm. like David having to slay the giant and Saul putting on his armor over on me and telling <laughs> me how to do it, right? And uh, that kind of took me on a journey where uh, initially I basically killed my ministry. I talk about that in my book, Unboxed. Mm story for another time, but I walked away from traditional forms of ministry and I started in business. And I discovered this world called the kingdom of God was a world where those lines that historically divided ministry from business kind of like dissolved. And the business, uh, my, my, my life in the business realm kind of put me right smack back in the middle of the ministry world. 
And I now find myself in this unique opportunity where I'm living on the intersection of business and ministry. And it has come to the point where it's really no separation and there's no dualistic mindset about the two. I'm in both 100%. I'm 100% in business. I'm 100% in ministry. I started helping influencers in the church space and the ministry space to help them, what I call bring their message to market. Uh, have had the privilege to work with some very high-level influencers. And uh, after a while, I decided, well, what we do for others, we should do for ourselves. And I connected with Dr. Chant. I said, hey, let's create Avail as one of the projects that we launched out of that journey. And later on, we launched Inspire. And that takes us to where we are today. So it's been a journey. Um, <laughs> But I'm 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 happy with where we where we've landed. So good, you know. I think uh, all of us that are leaning in here on this Avail Live Call webinar are excited to hear a little bit about your new book. And and you mentioned it. I have here some of the some of the Martine Van Tilburg collection through Avail, Unboxed and Unleashed. But we're not here to talk about these today. We're here to talk about the new book. It's hot off the press. Caliente. It's caliente. It's hot. A time of war. Which which. This is good. The inevitable conflict, inevitable conflict between the church of today and the church of tomorrow. Okay, so Martin, let's get into this. I'm going to also mention at the top, if you have a question that you'd like to ask, you can use the Q&A tab uh, and you could, you could put it in there. And, and if we have time for it, we're going to try to get to some of those questions. Um, let's talk about this book, A Time of War, Martin. What inspired you to write A Time of War, which, by the way, is an interesting title that when I first heard it, I was like, okay, what is this about, <laughs> right? Why would someone want to write about war, right? And, and, and why would you want war anyway? Because it seems like that's where you're leading us. Talk to us about the heart and the inspiration yeah, so Virgil, we're, we're in a time of war, but it's not a time for war, right? There's a very subtle difference. Um, Ecclesiastic talks about there's a time for everything, and that's really the scripture that it's pulled from. There's a time for peace, time of peace, time of war. And it's not so much that we woke up one day and decided to declare war on the past, right? That's not what I'm talking about. It's the inevitable conflict that happens between the current and the future mm -hmm. stumble upon a time of conflict and it's just by default uh, the bible talks about god knowing the end or declaring the end from the beginning which means at the beginning of creation he already declared the end and anything in between moves towards the end that god already declared will happen right and it's a process of progress it's a progress of our, of advancement the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that there will be no end of the increase of its government. So in other words, there always is progress and advancement. And we find ourselves in the middle of progress. And for something to progress, it cannot stay the way it's always been. And if we're going to advance, we need to realize one thing. What got us to where we are today can get us to where we're going. So when God declared the end from the beginning, that word that he spoke, drives us forward into that advanced movement. And it's up to us to align ourselves with the very thing that God has declared for the future. And if we're stagnant, if we stick to how things always have been, we're going to find ourselves in a place that dries up, right? 
it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's required for us to be aligned with the front lines of that declaration that God made at the beginning of time so that we can stay aligned with what God is doing today. So the story of war, the story of conflict is as old as creation. And, and throughout the Bible, you see conflict between the old and the new, the old, mm-hmm. and, the old and the new all the time. So this is, this is a book about that. I believe it's a prophetic message that I believe we find ourselves in as the church today. And it's basically God saying, hey, listen, guys, it's been good, but it's going to be better. And the biggest enemy of the better is how it's always been. And the present can keep <laughs> the future if we're not willing to change. So that's kind of the, the gist of the book. This is good. Hey, this... This resonates with me, Martin, because I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I grew up a pastor's kid, and then I eventually took took over the church that my parents planted and and pastored for so many years. And when I when we were in that transition period, you know, both before, during, and after, you feel that you feel that tension of, hey, this is what this is how we've done it, what we've done uh, for so long, and then all of a sudden, wait, are there better ways to do it? And 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 that that tension, uh, and it wasn't always about right or wrong; it was just about better or effective or relevant. And so this is a great book. We're talking today with Martin Van Tilburg, the author of A Time of War, The Inevitable Conflict Between the Church of Today and the Church of Tomorrow. Um, Let's get active in that chat. Uh, If you haven't let us know your name and where you're from, make sure you do that. And also, if you have a question, you can use a Q&A tab. Martin, one of the things that intrigued me uh, in the book, you talked about specifically about shepherd in the wilderness. It jumped out at me. Um, this is an intriguing thought. Can you just walk everybody through what what's meant by this shepherd in the wilderness? Yeah, it's it's a verse that I pulled from. I think it's the book of Numbers, somewhere in the in the in the Old Testament, and it speaks about that the old has the ability to condition our minds and therefore our behavior to operate within a set of rules that are dictated to us by our environment. Let me mm. explain what that means. Let me unpack that for a little bit. Mm. This scripture comes from the story where God's people finally, after escaping Egypt, after traveling through the wilderness, they finally get to the place where they have an opportunity to truly start inheriting the promise that God had declared over their lives, right? So you would think they would jump on the opportunity to cross that river and to take possession of that inheritance that God had in mind for his people. Well, we all know the story. The leadership sends in 12 spies. They come back. 10 of the 12 say it's a no-go. If we go, we're going to die. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, says, "Uh uh-uh, if God promises it, it's ours to take. We get the giants. But the bad news was so dominant that the people embraced the bad over the good. And then we know the story. God says, back to the wilderness you go. And he basically judges a generation right he sends them back into the wilderness and he says anybody 20 years or older within the next 40 years you will pass away in the wilderness without ever seeing the promise in your life unfold but then he says this to that younger generation 20 years and younger and 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 think about this let this sink in because it's a little scripture that sits there tucked into one of these chapters that we sort of read over and we don't really think about, but it says this, and I'm paraphrasing, but it says something like this, and you, younger generation, 20 years or younger, 
you will be caused by circumstance, not by choice, but as the result of the choices of a generation that raised you, you shall become shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years. Think about it. Let it sink in. By circumstance, not by choice, a generation that was destined for greatness was caused to become something they were never supposed to be. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. That younger generation that had a promise on their life became shepherds in the wilderness and they were never called, supposed to be shepherds in the wilderness. Mm. In fact, they were destined to become landowners in the land of promise on the other side of Jordan. But as a result of choices of another generation, mm. they became something. They were forced to become something they were never supposed to be. Now, not just for a weekend or a few days or a week or a month. For 40 years, this generation became something that they were never supposed to be. What wow. do you think does that with you mentally? When you are raised in an environment, you grow up in an environment where you become shepherds in the wilderness simply to survive, while in reality, there's a promise of God on the other side of the Jordan that you're truly destined to inherit. You simply start believing that the life you live in the wilderness, being a shepherd in the wilderness, is simply the life that you're supposed to live. Because what else is there? Mm -hmm. Could it be that we have become shepherds in the wilderness and that everything we do is geared towards improving our herdsmanship to become better shepherds, to raise up more shepherds, and to become the best shepherd we can possibly be, while in reality, God has a different opportunity for us. And I think so much of what we do in ministry is like that. Could it be that we've learned to become something we were never supposed to be, choosing a life of mediocrity on the wrong side of the Jordan, while the reality mm. of the promise of God is found on the other side? And we have to unlearn how we've been conditioned in a season that we ended up by circumstance rather than by purpose and destiny. And I think as we are moving into the future as the church, we have to consider that reality or at least the possibility mm -hmm. that we become something we were never supposed to be and that that very thing keeps us from truly inheriting all that God has for us. And I believe that that's the truth uh, for our generation that we live in. There's so much more but we've become so accustomed to the wrong side of the journey mm. uh, that we've come to believe that this is what it's all about. You know, that's, that's, that's really important for us to, to hear Martin, because I think, I think as we examine our lives and, and, and what God has called us to and what he's speaking to us, we can sometimes find ourselves on the wrong side of the Jordan. Uh, and, and the key is not to stay there. And so this is, this is the heart of a time for war. Um, okay. You, you talk Kind of one of the main examples you use is the story of David um, um, and prophetically that this is the ultimate picture of what we, the church of today, should model after as compared to Saul, right? You know, Saul and David, it, it was kind of two different stories. And, and we saw that we saw that battle literally happening. David obviously was not 
a model saint. He wasn't perfect. However, why would you say, which is kind of what you talk about in the book, that David is the ultimate picture of what we should model after. Also, the Bible clearly says that God didn't want a king. It was the people that asked for king. How do you reconcile these two things with, with what you write in the book? Yeah, great questions. Um, well, first of all, I think David is the ultimate prophetic picture of what we should model after just because he was imperfect, right? If he were perfect, we wouldn't be able to live up to that standard. I think the fact that he had his flaws, he had his sins, he had his shortcomings actually makes him more of a model to model after than if he were perfect. Not that we should follow in his sins necessarily, because that would be a bad idea, right? <laughs> but it makes him relatable. He was somebody with flaws, just like you and him. Second question, to your point, God never wanted to have a king. Well, I like to challenge that statement because think about it. Since the beginning of creation, God desired a kingdom. The Bible from Genesis to the book of Revelation is a declaration of God's kingdom. He always wanted a kingdom. He never wanted an environment that was not kingdom. Hmm. Uh, going back to the book of Genesis, he created the heaven and the earth. He placed man in the Garden of Eden. What did he say? Let them have dominion. He gave his domain. The king of kings gave his domain, the king's hmm. domain, to the people he created, to Adam, to Eve, to be kings in his kingdom. That's the story of Genesis. That's the story of creation. God has deposited the desire to rule as kings over creation because God had that intent in mind when he created the heaven and the earth. And yes, things went wrong. We know that. But even throughout the whole Bible, there is prophetic declaration about the kingdom of God. The book of 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, Chronicles, they are all... Uh, prophetic declarations about the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, what did he talk about? The number one topic that Jesus talked about was the kingdom of God. The truth is God always wanted to have a kingdom and God always wanted us to be kings in his kingdom. The problem was that when the people of Israel appeared in front of Samuel that day, they asked for a king like the other nations had kings. I don't think that the problem was so much the fact that they desired a king because God always wanted a kingdom context for his people. God always wanted a kingdom. And the Bible says, in fact, it's the Father's good pleasure to deliver us that kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. So a kingdom context has always been the desire for God, but it, it went wrong when God's people showed up in front of Samuel that day and said, give us a king like the other nations. And we don't want to model the kingdoms of the world to get that kingdom. But we want to model the kingdom of God that he wants to give us. And those are two different things. But think about this a little bit more deeper. Because here are the people that showed up in front of Samuel that day. And we are very easy to judge them. We think things like, oh, how could they ask for this king? I can't believe they deviated from the will of God so quickly 
that they stood in front of Samuel demanding a king. And we judge them for that behavior. But think about it. Their whole lives, they had been told through the Torah, through the scripture, that they were the head and not the tail. That they were supposed to be on top and not at the bottom, right? They had been told something that in reality had never experienced before. Because if they were truly honest to themselves and they looked at the nations around them, those nations were more powerful. They had a stronger military. They were more wealthy. They were more successful. They were more victorious. They were not the head. They were the tail. So it didn't matter what the word of God told them. There was this huge discrepancy between what the word of God said they were and who they really were in reality. Isn't that interesting? Mm. So when they looked at the other nations, the only difference that they could see was that they had kings. So naturally, their conclusion was, if they have kings and they are better than us in every category, the logical solution for us is to have a king like the other nations. Now, think about this even a step further. Let's peel that onion back even more. <laughs> They had no point of reference to a kingdom amongst themselves. Samuel was not a king. Eli was not a king. None of the judges were a king. Abraham was not a king, right? Mm -hmm. Isaac was not a king. Moses was not a king. Yet the scripture had declared the kingdom of God from the beginning. So there was this discrepancy between the scripture, what God declared, and the reality of God's people trying to live out the scripture in a non-kingdom context. Mm -hmm. I believe at the foundation of their request for a king was the frustration in their lives, not seeing truly manifested the things that God had promised them. And the missing factor was a kingdom context. It was just not like the other nations had a kingdom context. And uh, so when God says, he, at one point he rejects Saul because he became the manifestation of the wrong interpretation of the right desire. And he says, I will choose somebody better than you and he will be a man after my own heart. And even though he had his flaws, he was still a man after God's heart. And, and, and therefore, I believe that uh, David, with all his flaws, becomes the ultimate king that we look at to model after. And there's a lot of prophetic understanding that we can extract from the life story of, of David that I think can be to, to benefit of us. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're you're tapping into that right now. Do you do you want to delve a little further into that at all? As far obviously, Saul and David were very different, right? And and one was better than the other uh, for obvious reasons. You know, we we see it in, in the Word of God. Um, is there anything you want to add to that, Martin? That we can learn from that today? Yeah. So one of the things that really triggered this message, this book, was about fifteen, maybe even more years ago. I, I stumbled upon the scripture and it says this. I forget where it is, but it says this. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Mm -hmm. Again, one of these little tiny scriptures that's kind of tucked into a chapter somewhere that we tend to read over. But the Bible talks about a conflict 
that happened between two houses, the house of Saul and the house of David. And this conflict grew out to be a war that wasn't short. It wasn't solved overnight. It was a long war <laughs> that took place over decades. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So my mind naturally went to a place asking, what created the conflict? Why were they so different that a conflict emerged into a full-blown war that wasn't solved overnight? I believe we find ourselves in that same conflict. And that's the inevitable conflict that we're talking about between the church of today and the mm -hmm. church of tomorrow. And there is tons and tons and tons of, um, of, 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 of different characteristics between those two houses. I started jotting them down, and really this book was written recently of the notes I made over 15 years ago. Wow. And I jotted down about 30 differences between Saul's leadership style and Saul's kingship and how David operated as a leader and as a king. Uh, very simple things like Saul was a leader, head and shoulders above the rest. Right? <laughs> what does that symbolize? It's the one-man show. It's, uh -huh. it's the leader that leads by, you know, the singular authority. It was also manifested in the, in the, in the fact that the only people among Israel that were able to carry a sword, Bible says, was by Saul and his son, son Jonathan. Nobody mm. else was allowed to carry the sword. Well, the sword speaks about the word of God. The only one equipped to handle the sword was Saul and his son Jonathan. So there's, there's a lot of characteristics that are very different between Saul and, 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 and David. And I go into a, a bunch of them in the book. Uh, if you want to get the book, I, I recommend it because <laughs> I kind of analyze this um, different way of leadership between two leaders who were both in charge of... God's people, and and they led very different. So good. Hey, hey, everybody, in case anybody jumped on recently, we're talking today to Martijn Van Tilborg, the author of the Avail Book of the Month, which is a time of war, the inevitable, inevitable conflict between the church of today and the church of tomorrow. We're feeling that tension of <clears throat> what's been done and what can be done. Um, Martijn, uh, and, and by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to share in a few moments uh, the the link of where you can get this book for free. If you're not yet if you're not yet subscribed to Avail, you'll be able to get this book for free today, and you'll have a six month trial subscription for free of the Avail Journal as well. Uh, if you're already connected to Avail, then you'll be able to get a, a discounted price. I'm going to give you that information with our team in a few moments. But before that, Martine, you know you make a reference that also catches my attention from Zechariah 2. And uh, can you just take a moment to expound upon the fact that Jerusalem was to be built without walls? Why was, why was this against the norm? And what did it signify, Jerusalem to be built without walls? Yeah, so both in my book, un <clears throat> Unboxed, and uh, a time before I talk about that same scripture, but I highlight a different angle to it. Um, but again, I'm paraphrasing. There's a man like you and me, he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's having a measuring rod in his hand. This measuring rod is the very tool that he's using to build the city of Jerusalem. 
So here's a man with a heart in the right place. He's full of zeal, right motivation. He's doing the work of the Lord. He's on his way to Jerusalem and he wants to build God's city. And then on the way to building God's city, the angel stops him and he says, what do you think you're doing? He says, I'm on my way to build the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of Zion. And as the angel stops him, he corrects the man. And he corrects the man in his assumption that the city of God will be a city with walls. And he says this, the city of Jerusalem will be inhabited as towns without walls. And me, the Lord, will be a wall of fire around them. Now think about that. The city of Jerusalem will have no walls. The angel says, don't worry about the walls. The man with the measuring rod had an assumption in his head that the city he was building was built as a walled structure. Still follow me? Mm -hmm. And because of that assumption, everything he did, his strategy, the way he operated, the way he thought, was conditioned by that assumption. The very, the very fact he was carrying a measuring line was that he was going to measure where the walls were going to go. So much of what we do in the church is conditioned by assumption that we have. Somebody decided somewhere in the past that this is a foot, that this is a meter. And everything measured since is referencing that standard. That's how we've built church. We've built church based on the assumption of a set of rules that may not even be relevant in context of what God wants to do. Now, I'm from Europe. When we used to build city, cities hundreds of years ago, what did we do? We, build up, we put up walls. And then the city would get crowded. It would fill up. And there was a growth plan needed. What did we do? We expanded the walls of the city. <laughs> and the ROI on that is not very great. The effort, the energy it takes to rebuild the walls slightly in a bigger parameter, <clears throat> just to get incremental increase of capacity, that's mm -hmm. not great ROI, but historically, that's how we've built church. God says, don't worry about building church. Develop my kingdom is what his instruction is. And, and, and it's a different type of thinking. We've built church with a walled city mentality while God is trying to get our attention that the city he's building will be built as towns without walls. And he's dealing with the assumptions that keeps us small because so much of what we do, so much of where we put our energy, so much of where our money and budget goes is designed to create something that might be completely irrelevant in context of what God's envisioning for his kingdom. And uh, so that's what that scripture is about. And I think a lot of the conflict that exists between what we have today and where we're going tomorrow has to do with that paradigm shift. How do you administrate a kingdom versus building a church? Two very different things that require a very different mindset. And uh, so for whatever that's worth, I talk about that more in, in a couple of the chapters in the book. Um, but that's, that's probably the bigot, biggest thing. 
How do we develop and administrate God's kingdom as opposed to putting all our energy into building church? Because Jesus says, I will build my church. Don't worry about that. You just declare my kingdom. And, and there's, there's, the difference seems to be very subtle, but it's a massive paradigm shift if we fully comprehend uh, the one over the other. <laughs> this is a good conversation, Martin, and everybody who's connected right now, um, especially because some of us might identify ourselves kind of with the the, the church of, of, of before, right? And we, we might be connected to that. There's a, there's a question that came in from anonymous attendee. By the way, everybody, we're talking about A Time of War, the new book, the new Avail book of the month by Martin Van Tilburg. Hey, in the chat, can you just type, I'm leaning in? Right now, if you're taking this all in, if you're leaning in, because I think this is very intriguing. Martin, here's a question from anonymous attendee, and I'm gonna tie it into to something we wanted to talk about. Um, it says here from anonymous. So when you have no template, kingdom example, for what God is showing and telling you, as was for the Israelites, how does one avoid the danger of comparison to the templates around you to build what you have never seen, right? And, and if we and if we're, if we think about it, um, David signifies a ministry model that is different from the models we've seen in the past. Can you talk about this difference? And can you talk about this when you've never seen it? This, this, yeah, it's, this, a very, it's a very good uh, question. And I wrote a book about it. It's called Unboxed right? <laughs> Unbox is all about that. How do you renew your paradigm to start seeing the world around you in a way you've never seen it before? How can you truly live outside of the box? How can you create something that has no point of reference in the past nor the future simply because God is wanting you to create something unique? And I talk about five phases that you have to go through that summarizes the, the process of getting truly unboxed so we can create something authentic to what God has deposited inside of us without copycatting anybody else. And it's about awareness. Guess what? Uh, you're in a box. You might not be aware, but you're boxed in. Your mind is conditioned. Step two, think outside of that box, right? Think bigger, think beyond. Dare to dream beyond the obvious. Then step three is... Now that you're thinking outside of the box, staying in the box is no good. You got to get out of the box. Mm. So put your faith to works by adding action to what you're starting to see outside of the box. Then step four, which really addresses the question, how do we not repeat what's already been done? How don't we model after that? It's to destroy the box from your world completely <laughs> so that even if you want to go back, there's no back. Bring the box to the point of complete irrelevance so that step five, you can create something authentic that's never been done before, okay? So there's a book about it. It's called Unboxed. You can find it on Amazon, anywhere books are sold, uh, on the Avail website. I recommend it. It helps you address that exact question. Going back to David, mm -hmm. he had the same problem. He was prophetically appointed to be the first true king of Israel. Sure, we had Saul. He was the manifestation of the wrong interpretation of a right desire to want to have a kingdom context for God's people. And he became this abusive one-man show that really controlled the people of God and put them into a, an, an environment. I mean, this guy, he was intense. <laughs> At one point, he needed the people to follow his vision. You know how he did it? He took an oxen, chopped it to pieces, 
gave every messenger a piece, sent them around the country, said, if you're not with me, what just happened to this ox will happen to you. He was leading abusively through intimidation, right? That was Saul. David was the first true king. He had no point of reference to a kingdom context. He had heard about God's kingdom, but he was the first king of Israel. He could not model after Saul or after Samuel or after Eli or after the judges or after Moses. He had to create a reality for himself that was truly based on what he prophetically perceived about his assignment. So he couldn't afford to model after Samuel. Saul, well, let's, 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 let's look at the historic context here, right? Mm -hmm. David had historical baggage. He inherited yep. leadership styles, leadership paradigms, mm -hmm. leadership models from the generations who preceded him. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Going back all the way to judges. Judges were leaders that were raised up by God for whatever reason, somewhat random. Israel was going through a drought. It was a wilderness season that stretched out over many, many years. And periodically, for whatever reason, God would raise up a judge. They weren't particularly anointed with a specific anointing like Eli and Samuel and David were. They weren't a priest or a prophet or a king. They were just random dudes and one lady who were called by God in their lifetime to bring a temporary relief to God's people. And it's almost like an oasis in the wilderness, right? That we can look back on and say, man, we were going through a hard time, but then God raised up Gideon. <clears throat> we were going through a hard time, but then there was Samson, right? And they became these stories that sustained God's people through the history. And they happened all over the place. So if you look at the geography, even where Samson operated, where Gideon operated, where Deborah operated, they were kind of like popping up here and there for a short period of time, bringing times of refreshing to God's people. But they didn't bring a kingdom. They weren't specifically anointed for something. Mm. We've had those looking back in history. We've had Smith Wiggles words and Evan Roberts and some of the greats, William Seymour, right? All these people that rose up in their lifetime to bring this temporary revival that we can look back on and say, oh, look what the Lord has done. But they didn't bring a sustainable environment called the kingdom of God that sustained God's people indefinitely like David did. Because remember, once David became king, the scepter did not depart from Judah. It became this sustained effort through the generations. No leader in the past was able to do that. They were there for a moment. Next thing you know, they were gone. Hmm. Back to the wilderness. Then Eli came. He was a little bit more structured. He was anointed to be priest. And this is how he operated as a leader. Guys, I'm judging Israel as a priest. Uh, my ministry headquarters is in the city of Shiloh. I have a tent. I have a place of meeting. If you need a miracle, come to my meeting and I will minister to you. And I, you will have your breakthrough. And we saw that with Hannah, right? She was barren, traveled from afar, came to the meeting. Eli laid hands on her. She had a breakthrough. Does that sound familiar? 
<laughs> that's the model of ministry that we've adopted. But we need to realize that Eli did not have or was unable to create a kingdom context for his ministry. In other words, it's possible to be anointed by God, to have a ministry with results, but still not operate outside inside of a kingdom context. Okay? Mm -hmm. You can talk kingdom, but it doesn't mean you're a kingdom leader. Because Eli had a model that was exclusively dependent on people coming to his meeting and therefore limited to a location and for the people to come there. We have inherited that type of ministry in our churches, right? Mm -hmm. We put up meetings, invited people to our conferences and prayed for people. And sure, we've seen miracles, but don't confuse that with a true kingdom context that God wants to establish in our churches. Samuel, he knew there has to be more. <clears throat> Even though he was raised by Eli and he learned a lot, he also realized that there was more. And as soon as he became the next judge of Israel, the next leader, he knew he had to shift away from that old model. And he packed his bag and went to the city of Ramah and started what I call the first multi-campus church. <laughs> he went in Ramah, his main campus, and started pioneering in three other locations. The Bible says he went on a circuit, ministering around all his campuses. So his influence reached beyond what Eli the priest could do, but it was still very limited. Instead of having one walled city, he had one walled city plus three walled villages, right? So it had expanded beyond what Eli could do, but it was still very limited because it wasn't a kingdom mindset that drove Samuel the prophet. Now, he was anointed by God. He was just no king. Then what's very interesting is when you study the life of Saul, who became the manifestation of the right ask from the wrong conclusion to want to have a king like the other nations, Saul became the first king of Israel, but he was a king in name only. He didn't operate truly in his kingly gifting, but he became exclusively dependent on the models of the past that the past had given him as an inheritance. How do I know that? Well, when it became time for Saul to get leadership consulting, who did they go to? He went to Samuel who was a non-king, who had already passed away. So he went to get advice from the dead, mm. from the past generation who had already been gone to lead him in the current. Saul never shifted to true kingship. I also know that because he never touched the Ark of the Covenant. It stayed exactly where Samuel had left it until David picked it up after Saul died. There was no progress. There was no advancement. He was a king, but he was a king in name only, who only came abusive to the people of God. So I think when we look back to the generations that proceeded or preceded David, we can extract a lot of information and understanding of ministry models and leadership styles that we see today in our churches. 
And God says, I want a kingdom context. And there's never been a true kingdom context in the history of my people. And if we're going to make a shift, it's going to require us to change everything, potentially. At least we should consider that some real foundational things that we've always assumed are right are going to have to be changed. Samuel had a revelation about kingdom. He spoke about kingdom, but he never led in a kingdom context. He prophesied about the kingdom. That's where things get confusing. We in our churches, we talk about the kingdom of God, but apparently it's possible to talk about it, prophesy about it, but really lead in a non-kingdom context. Mm. Huh. <laughs> okay, okay. So I know that I know that so many leaders, pastors, people that are connected, and people are gonna watch this later as well, Martine. They're gonna start, there's gonna be there's gonna be an internal war happening, right? Thinking about all this. That's what your book is all about. A time of war. Um, after this next question, we're gonna we're gonna release in the link the the i mean in the chat the link because we want people to know how they can get this book now a, a question came in before before that real quick martin people yeah. are typing in the chat right uh -huh. um martin says this teaching is sending me back to search the scripture that's a good thing that's a good thing uh, uh moises he says uh, i will build my church jesus just worried about declaring his kingdom uh lillian said loved unboxed uh uh so grateful for this confirming word by todd um it says here uh, um, oh, check this comment out by some uh, so, somebody who's attending called Sam Chand. <laughs> I read this book and kept thinking every church leader needs to read this, not just themselves, but take their leadership teams through it as a study and then take the action steps God is leading them to do. It's a great book. Uh, Sam adds, Thank the you. subtitle of the book says it all. The inevitable conflicts between the church of today and the church of tomorrow. Since it's inevitable, Sam writes, why wouldn't you prayerfully prepare for it? Great book. Recommendation here by the man himself, Dr. Sam Chand. Martine, I, I want to get into this question. And right after this, I want to release the link because people need to get this. And some people are asking already, where can I get it? How can I get it? We're about to shoot that to you right after this question. And, and I want to talk about culture, Martine, because you, you mentioned this, um, kingdom culture. Yeah. How do we effectively implement kingdom culture in our churches, especially if how we've been doing church hasn't really been aligning to that kingdom culture? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's just, there's no simple answer. Well, the answer is simple. The, the, the application is just not easy. Mm -hmm. Those are two different things. Something can be simple in concept, but then <laughs> the application of it can be extremely difficult. Sure. So Sam actually wrote a book. It's called uh, Change Your Culture, Change Everything. And that kind of sums it up, right? It's one thing to say, <laughs> to stand in, in front of your congregation on a Sunday morning, and I've done it and say, hey, we really need to adopt kingdom culture in this church. But by saying you're going to change culture from non-kingdom to kingdom, you're basically going to say, you're basically saying we're going to change everything because culture <laughs> is a very complex word. Culture is, is, I'm from the Netherlands. We have a different culture than the United States. I lived in South Africa, very different culture in South Africa than the United States or Holland, where I'm from right? Culture is made up of, of like this, this massive number of micro things that collectively make up culture. It's the way we eat, the way we talk, the way we 
run our economy, the way we raise our kids, the way we do anything, the clothes we wear. <coughs> Culture is the accumulative of all these little things. It's a million little things that together makes up culture. So by saying we got to change culture, we're basically saying we're willing to go there. We're willing to challenge everything that contributes to culture. And that's sort of what it is. Culture and changing culture is the hardest thing you can ever do. Um, you cannot change culture and, and stay where you're at. It's going to require a complete shift because culture is so many things. It has so many layers. It's so mm -hmm. complex. Uh, so change your culture, change everything. So if we've done ministry like Samuel or Eli or the judges in a non-kingdom culture, and we're saying we want to embrace kingdom culture, we cannot stay in Shiloh. We cannot stay in Ramah. We cannot stay where we've always been, but it demands for us a shift to a new place. And David knew that. So as soon as Saul died, he rose up. What did he do? He left and migrated to the city of Jerusalem instantly. He knew if I'm going to do this thing, I cannot stay where the leaders of old have always been. It demanded from him a complete shift. And, and that's what culture does. You change culture, you change everything. With that said, you cannot bring king a king to Shiloh. Kingdom culture cannot come to Shiloh. Shiloh has to come to kingdom culture. Mm -hmm. The difference. You try to put a king in the ministry models that we've inherited from the past, it suffocates us. We cannot operate in that limited world structure. It demands for us to shift to a new place, Jerusalem, which symbolically represents um, the seat of government that God wants to place us in prophetically to start administrating his kingdom uh, across a far bigger territory uh, without limitation. That's so David, David became king. And what does it say? From that moment on, when he landed in Jerusalem, he became successful wherever he went. That's the picture of mm -hmm. the Boys Church. That's good, Martine. Hey, I want to do some. There's, there's a couple questions, Martine, but I think, I think now's the time. We need to release the link. We need to get it in people's hands right now, this link. Um, right now, our Avail team is putting in the chat the link on how you can get this new Avail Book of the Month, A Time of War by Martijn Van Tilburg himself. A few people in the chat have been saying, I wanna get this book, I wanna get this book. Hey, here's the link. We want you to share it with friends, leaders, pastors, people that you know that need to hear this message or, or will be encouraged and challenged by it. Let's get it out there. Um, there's a few things I want to mention, Martin, before we before I have a couple more questions for you. But I want to just mention um, this book is going to challenge you to think in ways you haven't thought. And there is this inevitable conflict between the church of today, which, by the way, I've been part of, and the church of tomorrow, which I want to keep being a part of, but I want to be relevant. I want to impact. I want to, I want to be what God has called us to be. That's what this book is all about. Uh, Martin is going to challenge you to think in new ways. 
Uh, it's going to help you in ministry and your leadership. Um, you can get this book for free. How can I get this book for free, you might ask. Well, the way you do that is by clicking on that link, checking it out. If you are not yet a member of the Avail uh, Journal and getting all that, then you can actually get this book for free and you can get six months of the Avail Journal subscription for free. This is for you, leader, for you, pastor, or for somebody that you want to encourage to get it. Claim it by going to that link, filling out the information. If you are already an Avail subscriber to the Avail Journal and you're already connected to the Avail family, you can get it at a discounted price. All that information is on there. Um, personally, I would say just getting the book isn't a good idea. The best idea, the no-brainer is to upgrade to the Masterclass Bundle, which by the way, if you've been connected to Avail, you know what that's all about. You're going to get more, not just the book, the hardcover book by Martin Van Tilburg at Type of War, you're going to get the, the companion study guide that goes right along with it. Uh, I have mine at home and, and, I'm, and you're taking notes along as you're thinking about and, and digesting all the information, each chapter, that companion study guide comes, but there's also a 13 video masterclass, a 13, uh, 13 video masterclass that leads you and guides you along the journey as well. Martine did a great job putting together the videos for the masterclass. So you get the hard book, hardcover book, you get the companion study guide to kind of process your thoughts and write those thoughts down. Uh, you get the access to the masterclass uh, videos. There's 13 of those. It'll probably include this Q&A at the end of it as well. Um, and, and you're going to be able to do that. You're going to be able to encourage other people, share it with them all by connecting to this book, A Time of War, upgrade to the Masterclass Bundle. I highly recommend it. All that information is on the link right there. Martin, how did it feel doing those, those uh, uh, Masterclass videos? They came out really great. Thank you. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to I tap in while people are checking. I think Say that again. Being over three hours of content. So yeah, great it's stuff. Seven minute sessions. Yeah, great, great stuff, everybody. Make sure you click on that link. Martine, I know we're running close to the end here, but but um, there's a couple of things that you that, that are intriguing to me about, about you, what you write about. Um, I want to see where you which, maybe what you want to tackle. You really straddle the world of ministry and marketplace, right? You have this unique call to both worlds. Uh, you also talk about kingdom economy. That's another big, big part of, of this book. Where, what do you want to tackle here for these last few minutes? Wow. You know, this is potential rabbit hole we can talk about for a very long time. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I have a unique journey where I've been all into the ministry and all into the marketplace just to find out there's really no difference. Everything is ministry and everything is business. Everything is family. People ask, uh, you, I've said it many times. You've probably said it. First, God. <laughs> and family, then ministry, right? In your priorities. Uh -huh. Think about it. Since when is God not part of family? Since when is God not part of ministry? Right? Mm. You can't separate one thing from the other. It's all one big package deal. God is in family. God is in ministry. God is in your relationship with him. Um, but it's all called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God dissolves these dividing lines that we seem to be putting in place to separate one area of life from another. But it all blends together in a big blender called the mm. kingdom of God. So we've come a long way as a church. I mean, 20 years ago when you said, 
or I remember myself, I said, I'm going to go in business. It was sort of frowned upon, right? Because didn't God call you for the ministry? And it, it was as if it wasn't church centric enough. Mm. But the last few years, there's more and more talk about kingdom business, right? You've heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Kingdom business, kingdom entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I've discovered that sure, business might not be church centered, but maybe the center of church is shifting to a new kingdom context that doesn't require business people to start becoming kingdom business people, but also ministry leaders to start becoming kingdom ministry leaders. Because we've just learned there's a difference between being a ministry leader and being a kingdom ministry leader. Because Samuel didn't have a kingdom context. Eli didn't have a kingdom context. The judges mm -hmm. didn't. Nobody did. So I believe that collectively as the church, no matter what sphere of influence you have, whether that's in the church world or in the business world or in politics or whatever it may be, this new kingdom context that God is creating for his people allows us to live on the same intersection. Ministry leaders and business leaders can finally live in a place where they can coexist. And we've seen business leaders flee churches. I talk to them all the time. You know, they're all in with their pastor, but then over a period of several years, it almost like that context suffocates them because it's simply not big enough for them. And they leave and they come to me and have conversations with me and say, man, I need more than what traditional church can offer me. And I think the shift that we're going through between the church of today and church of tomorrow facilitates an environment and a climate for God's people to coexist where collectively we can grow and expand his kingdom over the face of the earth. And uh, so, and with that comes a different economy, right? <laughs> because remember, change your culture, change everything. Mm -hmm. Historically, we've seen a certain economy operate a certain way in context of the ministries we've led. Well, don't be surprised that when God shifts us to a new paradigm, that it will redefine what it means to give in the kingdom of God, right? Could it be that giving in God's kingdom looks different than giving in the church traditionally? And this was one of the things that David did. He didn't bring his offering to Shiloh. Let's be clear about it. Doesn't mean he didn't sacrifice anything. Mm -hmm. He probably sacrificed more than any person in the Bible on his journey to Jerusalem. But his investment, his financial investment, was made in his kingdom assignment as opposed to traditional storehouse that we teach our people. So God is redefining everything as he shifts us from one place to another. Yeah, so so interesting. This this is the book, everybody. I want our team to put the link in the chat again. If you have any trouble with the link, you can just go on uh, to your internet browser, go to theartofleadership.com forward slash war, theartofleadership.com forward slash war. The link is in the chat, make it easy for you. The book is A Time of War, The Inevitable Conflict Between the Church of Today and the Church of Tomorrow. A good tension to talk about. This is a great tension to talk about as leaders, as pastors. I highly recommend upgrading to the masterclass bundle. When you click on that link, you're going to see if you're not yet connected to the Avail subscription, hey, 
you can get this for free plus a free six months of the Avail Journal. That's awesome. If you're already with Avail, there's a discounted price for you. But here it is, the best option, the one that I think you cannot, don't, don't let it go by, take advantage of the upgrade, the Masterclass Upgrade Bundle. Why? Because it's going to include the hardcover book, an amazing book to get you thinking and growing your leadership. It includes the companion study guide that you can journal along the journey of reading the book, what God's speaking to you, what you're learning. It also comes with access to the 13 video masterclass, which is awesome. You're going to love it. It just goes, it delves deeper into all of these subjects. And of course, uh, the Q&A session, this Q&A session will be added onto that as a bonus as well. It's going to be an awesome, awesome masterclass bundle. Upgrade for it. We have a discounted price for that as well. You'll see it on the link. No brainer. This is a must do. By the way, you're going to share this with your team and you're going to want to share this with other pastors, leaders, ministry leaders you know and care about because it's really, really going to help them. Come on, in the chat, I want somebody to type, I'm learning, I'm growing, or both, I'm learning and I'm growing because that's what we're doing right now on this live call with Martine Van Tilburg, the author of A Time of War. Martine, our time is, is coming to an end. The Avail Journal, I know you love this. You're part of, you and Sam Chan really have, your heart has been in this, pouring into this, bringing it to life. We've been doing great things together. Uh, through Avail, through the Avail Journal, through these resources like this book, there's more coming. Here's what I want to ask you, Martine. What do you want to leave on the hearts of everybody today? What, what nuggets, what, what, what are you passionate about? What, what do you want people to really think about as, as they leave this live call and think about a time of war? Yeah, I think as we realize, we find ourselves in this prophetic time joint that separates the past from the future, uh, that we have to realize that we don't fight against flesh and blood, right? Uh, it, I know it's, it's uh, tempting to look at people in your life and label them as Saul or label them as, you know, this or that. <laughs> and sure, you know, we all tend to have characteristics uh, of Saul at times. Um, but we have to realize that they are types. They are prophetic types that we can learn from. They're not actual people that we either embrace or judge in our lives. <laughs> The reality is we're all sons of Saul. We all grew up in a place where David hadn't immersed yet, right? Mm -hmm. We're all Jonathan. We're all sons of Saul. Jonathan understood that David was supposed to be next king. He even said it. He recognized it. But he found himself in this place, in that same conflict. What am I going to do with the man who raised me? And what am I going to do with what I prophetically understand about the future. And it's what choices do we make? Do we end up dying with Saul in battle? Mm. Or do we emerge as a, as God's people, as part of a new kingdom? And um, so I think those are some good closing words. We're all Jonathan. We're all sons of Saul. We were all raised by a system that made us the way we are but it doesn't mean we have to follow in those footsteps because there's an opportunity for us to shift to a place where we can truly see God's kingdom come. Hey, everybody, this is exactly what you can expect anytime you connect with Martine and any of his resources. He gets you to think, to think out of the box, as his book Unbox talks about, to think in new ways. And what a gift that is to us, uh, church leaders, uh, ministry leaders, pastors, Martine. I, I love this. How can people connect with you if they want to keep following you or, or hear more or know more about you? Yeah, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, send me a message. I will reply. 
<laughs> I see some names in the chat uh, of people that I even connected with today. Rodney Osborne. I never heard of Rodney, but he messaged me through Facebook. <laughs> I answered him. So, uh, yeah, connect with me. And Look him up on social media, everybody. By, by the way, Martine has got a cool spelling. There's a J before the N. <laughs> Martine. Uh, Martine, I love uh, the fact that you brought this book, A Time of War, for such a time as this. this. I think if any time, this time right now is a time where we need to be thinking about this, uh, evaluating how we've done things and evaluating how maybe God is calling to do them as we move forward. Um, I really believe that God is speaking through you. It is, it's a prophetic uh, message that's coming at a time that the church uh, and, and the world really needs it. Um, Martine, you, you know, you're, you're, you're part of the family here at Avail. We, we, we honor you and we're so thankful for, for all that you do to pour out leaders. People have no idea how much you and your family and your team pour into everything that is Avail. Uh, we are, T take my hat off and we are blessed and honored to have somebody like you speaking into our lives and leaders thank you so much thank you for joining us for this episode of the avail podcast we hope you've been intrigued by this conversation with martine van tilborg remember you can connect with martine on social media and get his new book at theartofleadership.com forward slash war for more leadership resources, check us out at theartofleadership.com. And make sure to claim your free annual subscription of the Avail Journal at availjournal.com. And if you'd like to connect to our growing leadership community on Facebook, visit availleadershipconnect.com. As always, I'm your Avail Media host, Virgil Sierra. Muchas gracias. Thank you for connecting with us to learn the art of leadership here at the Avail Podcast.